The following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. You can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. So the kids are staying in here. So uh, I'm going to preach a long one. A long, boring one. Complicated, hard, difficult. So that's the goal. All right, kids, put you to sleep. No, not really. Some of you have been up since 5 a.m. and had your parents up since 5 a.m. And uh, so my neighbor was shooting off fireworks at midnight, I guess celebrating the birth of Christ. And so I'm thankful for my neighbor. Not really. But uh, anyway, so... Well, it's a, it's a blessing uh, to sing those songs, and um, they obviously, they're just, they're very significant, and, and uh, they all have, uh, I, I think for most of us, a lot of se- sentimental value and represent a lot of tradition and a lot of significant memories and things of that nature, uh, but, but far, far more important than any of that is the fact that those songs are filled with such significant truth, really significant truth about who God is, about the promise of salvation, about the hope of a coming kingdom, and, and all of those wonderful things, all of the, all the truth that we celebrate and really our entire hope as Christians, it all comes together in the person of Jesus. And, um, and, and of course, today we specifically remember his birth, and, and so with the rest of our time, I want to look at an important piece of the story of Jesus' birth which establishes much of the significance. It really is, you could say, the beginning of the story, and that is uh, the story of Gabriel's announcement to Mary that she is going to give birth to the Messiah. And so let's read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. It says there, Now in the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord May it be done to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. Such such an incredible moment. I mean, imagine being Mary and experiencing 
this vision, this, well, this, this conversation with this angel. And not only is it an incredible moment for Mary, it is an important message for all of us. This is a vital passage of Scripture. And I'd, I'd like to divide our study of these 13 verses into four assertions about Jesus that this passage makes. The first is, is that Jesus is a gracious gift. Jesus is a gracious gift. Now, now we'll get to why that is so. But first notice that this passage directly follows uh, Gabriel's previous announcement to, uh, to Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to be the parents of John the Baptist. So, so verses 5 through 25 record uh, the angel Gabriel's conversation with Zechariah in the temple. And, and there are some really important similarities between these two birth announcements, but, but the differences between these two passages are much more significant. So specifically, think about the fact that Zechariah was a priest. So, so Zechariah, he was at the very top of the social structure of Israel. He was a priest of God. And as well, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple of Jerusalem, the most holy place on earth. And, um, but this time, verse 26 says, that in the sixth month, specifically the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and he makes that clear at the end of the passage, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel appears once again. But this time... He doesn't appear in the temple. No, instead, he appears in the tiny community of Nazareth. And Nazareth is such a small, insignificant place that Luke is writing to a Gentile audience. They've never heard of Nazareth, and so he has to tell them that Nazareth is in the region of Galilee because it's so small, so insignificant. And this time, he doesn't appear to a priest. He appears to an insignificant young girl named Mary. Now, now, verse 27 tells us that Mary is a virgin and that she is betrothed to be married to Joseph. So, so it's possible that when this announcement takes place, she is as young as 12 years old because uh, young girls would actually get married or be betrothed at that young of an age. It doesn't necessarily mean that she was that young, but, but she is still, she is a, a pretty young lady. She, she's not you know, some established woman of means and significance within her town. No, she's probably a, a relatively poor young lady, still living in her parents' home, insignificant and unknown to pretty much everyone except for a tiny little circle of people who knew her. And so this angel Gabriel, now Gabriel is uh, we, we first meet him in the book of Daniel, and so uh, Gabriel had, had, had met, he had, he had made his first, at least known prophecy, to, to the great prophet Daniel in the city of Babylon. And then the next time we meet him, he's making an announcement to a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. But now, God sends Gabriel on the most important mission he will ever have to a tiny little town in Galilee to talk with a poor young lady. And it just goes to show right away that, that the story of Christ's life, that God sets a tone right from the beginning that this is a story of humility. That Jesus didn't come in glory and power. He came in humility to serve. And, and going to the story then, 
Uh, the, t- the story tells us that he walked into her house, and so apparently, when, when the story begins, Mary is home alone when, when Gabriel suddenly walks into the house. Now, now I imagine, I, I seriously doubt, that Gabriel had wings and a halo, like we oftentimes picture it, but clearly, uh, Mary recognizes right away that this is no ordinary man. Now, she would be shocked, surprised probably for any just random stranger man to walk into her home, but, but, but she recognizes right away that this is an angel. And so imagine her surprise to have a glorious angel walk into her house. That would be an overwhelming experience. And then he begins to speak, and, and he says to her in verse 28, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, now some of you uh, grew up in Catholicism, and Catholicism uh, makes this statement really almost an act of worship by Gabriel towards Mary, and, and so they translate it hail, and uh, I don't remember the exact wording, but, um, but, but, but it's almost an expression of worship within Catholicism. And actually, though, uh, the, the Greek language that, that Gabriel uses here is just a normal, uh, a normal expression of greeting that focuses not on the greatness of Mary, but on the grace of God. And that's because Mary wasn't perfect. There wasn't anything about Mary that made her deserving of this honor. No. I think this text is emphasizing that she is a surprising choice. But while only a handful of people would have even known who this young girl is, God knew who she was. And God loved her, and God showers her with grace. And doesn't it that way God typically works? You know, God doesn't pick the high and the mighty, the powerful and the strong. No, He loves to honor the weak so, so that we will glorify Him for His mercy and kindness, not glorify ourselves. And as well, that the choice of Mary establishes right away that Jesus is not coming in, in human glory and power. No, he's coming as a humble servant. So, so it's fascinating that the, the, the choice of Mary to be the mother of Jesus establishes a tenor right away of the, of the whole purpose of Christ's first coming. But with that said, God gives Mary here an incredible honor. And so verse 28 again calls her favored one, the Lord is with you. And then verse 30, Gabriel says to her again, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So God is magnifying his grace from the very beginning of the story. Now, it's an incredible privilege that she is receiving. But of course, again, try and put yourself in Mary's shoes, and, and she has to just be absolutely swimming. I mean, imagine you know, what's going through her mind. An angel just walked into her house, and, she, and this angel just told her that she is favored of the Lord. Now, it's worth remembering that, as far as we can tell, no one else is in the house. So, so we have to assume that ultimately Luke gets his story from Mary herself. So this is essentially her account of what happened that day. And so, I find it fascinating how she describes her own response in verse 29. It says, she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Now, ladies, if you were in Mary's shoes, how would you respond? You know, she doesn't scream. 
She doesn't cry. She, she doesn't you know, get overwhelmed. No, no, it says she was perplexed. And she pondered what was going on. You know, Mary sounds like the type of lady that reads the encyclopedia for fun, right? <laughs> and she's pondering what exactly is taking place. But, but the point remains that God has given her a gracious gift. And Jesus is the eternal Son of God, and He is coming to save His people from their sins. And, and, and Mary here is given the tremendous privilege of carrying the most important baby ever born. And so Christ's coming is all grace. And Gabriel begins, before he even tells her what God is going to do for her, he twice tells her, you are favored of God. You have been given a tremendous privilege. Because the coming of Christ is a gracious gift for all people. A provision of salvation and life and hope. And so all of us today should rejoice in the gift of Jesus. It's the best gift that's ever been given. You know, some of you kids, you're excited about gifts today. You're excited about something you already opened or something that you're excited to open later today. And let's all remember that Christ, the gospel, the life we have in Him is the most precious gift ever given. And then Gabriel proceeds to explain why Mary is so highly favored. You know, because again, he hasn't, quite, he hasn't said to her yet what's going to happen. And so he tells her in the following verses that she's going to have a baby. And, um, but he wouldn't just be any baby. No, the second assertion of the text is that Jesus is the promised Savior. He is the promised Savior. Now, now, once again, put yourself in Mary's shoes. She's standing there looking at this angel, you know, this very significant angel that she had read about in the book of Daniel, and she's trying to wrap her mind around the fact that an angel is in her house, and he has said she is highly favored of the Lord. And that, now he adds in verse 31, that you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, now based on what follows, uh, we, we know that, that her assumption is not that, that someday down the road, once uh, she and, and Joseph come together, that then she will have a son. No, she understands the angel to mean that, that almost immediately she is going to become pregnant. Now, that's a lot to take in, isn't it? But Gabriel, he's just getting started. And he tells her that she is to name the baby Jesus. Now, he doesn't here give us any significance to that, but, but the name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. And so it means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. And it was a very common name, very common name for Jewish boys, but it was a name full of significance. And of course, the angel would later tell uh, Joseph in Matthew 1.21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus came fundamentally to glorify God in the salvation of sinners. I mean, that, and God is establishing it that, that right away. And then verses 32 and 33 record the meat of Gabriel's prophecy with, with five statements about the significance of Jesus. And so the first two statements declare that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at what he says. He tells her of this baby that she is to name Jesus, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most 
high. Now, now great there is just simply a term uh, speaking to his magnificence. It's a, it's a common term, but, but it's not talking here about a common man. Jesus will be great. Unlike, for, at least from the world's perspective, Mary, who was considered small and insignificant. And the reason he will be great is because he will be the son of the Most High. Now, that's sort of an ironic statement to make in the midst of a birth announcement. Because typically, you know, when, when, a, when, when a man and a woman find out that they're expecting, you know, there's tremendous joy, and, and that joy is to, tied to the fact that I'm having a baby. I'm going to become a dad, or I'm going to become a mom. But, but what does God emphasize here? He emphasizes right away that this child will not ultimately be Mary and Joseph's. No, he will be the son of the Most High. He will not be a mere man. He will be God in human flesh. And, and for most of us who've been in our church, in church for a long time, we, we've been around the truths of the gospel for years, that's an idea that we could easily take for granted, that he is the God-man. But we never should. It is really, it is truly incredible that eternal, infinite God you know, left the glories of heaven, submitted himself to all the limitations of human body, human flesh, I mean, think about Jesus needing food to survive. Think about him getting tired. He left the glories of heaven to submit himself to all the frustrations of life in a sin-cursed world. All the hardships that come for us as people in this world that, that God himself never has to experience. And, and he limited himself to the point of becoming a helpless baby. And that's a truth that we can't, we, we can't comprehend it. If you try and wrap your mind around the incarnation, you will, you will try and try and never succeed. And so Gabriel here begins with Jesus' divine significance. He is the great Son of the Most High. And of course, this is the most significant fact about Jesus. And so today, we, we want to not just remember a baby, but worship the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, whom God sent into the world for us. And then Gabriel transitions to Jesus' significance within God's redemptive plan. And, and the next three statements declare that he is the promised Messiah. So first, Gabriel goes on at the end of verse 32 to say that, he will, that the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, almost all of us in this room are Gentiles, and so that's not a statement that necessarily grabs our attention. But if you were a Jew living in the first century under Roman oppression, well, that would grab you immediately. Because when, when, when Gabriel gave this prophecy, it had been uh, over 900 years since God told David that someday a son of David was going to ascend to the throne of David and rule in glory and power. And, and for those, in those 900 years had not exactly been rosy and easy for the Jews. I mean, almost the entire time, Israel was oppressed, they were suffering, they endured famine, they endured oppression from, from foreign powers. It had been a hard, hard 900 years. But the godly remnant endured it all by faith, 
in God's promise that someday he would send a Messiah from the line of David. I mean, that was the thing that kept them going forward in their faith. And now, incredibly, I mean, think after 900 years, God shows up, or excuse me, Gabriel shows up at the home of this young girl, Mary, and says that the one who is going to ascend to the throne of David is going to be born to you. He is coming. And Gabriel adds in verse 33 that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Which is a clear reference. Uh, the house of Jacob is a reference to the nation of Israel. And so, and so that statement there is, is clearly look forward, looking forward not to his first coming, but ultimately to his second coming. You know, Christ is going to return. And he is going to establish a kingdom for Israel. And he will honor the, the faith and the endurance of, of generations of people who have waited and waited and waited for the Messiah to come. And God will fulfill every promise. And of course, we as well, who are church-age saints, will, will, will enjoy that kingdom as well. Revelation says we will rule and reign alongside Christ when He comes to rule from the throne of David. And you know, that's a great hope for us to remember today because you know, I hope that today is a day of, of tremendous joy for you and you know, celebration and fun times with family. You know, but the reality is, is that holidays oftentimes raise all, you know, they bring to the surface all sorts of pain and sorrow. So maybe today you're, you're grieving the loss of a loved one, someone who's not there with you, who used to be with you on, on the holidays. It's a time where sometimes holidays you have to face the brokenness of your family that the other 11 months of the year you try to just forget is there. You know, maybe you're dealing with loneliness today. And if any of those things are true, take heart that a better day is coming. Jesus is coming again, and He will fix everything that's broken, and He is going to make everything new. And so, if you're hurting today, you know, don't hurt, turn your sorrow into, into just bitterness and anger and discontentment. Use it to turn your eyes to a better day. A day when Christ is going to fix everything that's broken. He's going to remove the effects of the curse. It's going to be a glorious day. And then finally, Mary, or excuse me, Gabriel assures Mary that his kingdom will have no end. That's, so it's going to be forever. And, and that's another wonderful promise. You know, I, I remember as a kid, you know, the worst part of Christmas is December 26th, right? And you spend weeks anticipating Christmas, getting excited for presents as a kid, getting excited for the food. I mean, that, that was always a big deal to me. And, uh, you know, the food and all the fun and excitement. And then you wake up and it's all over. And you're bummed. Because this glorious thing that you'd looked for is, is in the past and it's not coming around for another year again. But, but how wonderful is it to think that there won't be any letdown with the reign of Christ? You'll never wake up one day and say, wow, it's over. I got to go back to work. I got to go back to this and that. And I got to tear all this stuff down and put it all away. So, so there is great hope in the Christmas story that, that it will last, the kingdom of Christ will last forever and ever. And, and that outshines any sorrow, any hardship, any difficulty that you might feel today.
So keep your eyes there. So, so, so Gabriel here drops a, a shocking announcement on Mary. You know, again, put yourself in her shoes. And, and so he tells her, you know, one minute she's scrubbing the floor or you know, baking something or doing some sort of chore around the house. And the next day, the mighty Gabriel shows up and tells her that she is going to bear the Son of God and the promised Messiah. Now, what would you be thinking if you were in Mary's shoes? That's a lot to take in. But Gabriel's not done. The third assertion that he makes is that Jesus is the holy God-man. Jesus is the holy God-man. And so Gabriel tells us two more important truths about the baby in verses 34 and 35. And so first, he will be virgin-born. Now Mary initiates this one because, uh, because she asks a question uh, of, of Gabriel in verse 34. She says to him, Mary, it says, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Now if you were Mary, what would be your first question? What would be the first thing that you'd want to ask the angel? Now, I don't know about you. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know what I would ask. But, but you know, again, Mary, she reads the encyclopedia for fun. So, so her first concern is the anatomical challenges of Gabriel's announcement. That doesn't work. And so she clearly understands, she clearly understands Gabriel to mean that, that she is going to conceive immediately. You know, not that, that ultimately she'll conceive down the road after she and Joseph consummate their marriage. So, so she wants to know, how in the world can an unmarried virgin like me possibly become pregnant? And Gabriel responds in verse 35 with a profound answer. He says, the, it says, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now that language uh, calls to mind the, the, how, the, how the Spirit of God hovered over the nation of Israel during the wilderness wanderings. You think of the, the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory that, that, that guided Israel through the wilderness and how it, how it hovered over the tabernacle as Israel was there in, in the wilderness. And so, and so when it talks there about the Holy Spirit coming upon her, that's, that's really the picture that it calls to mind. It also reflects God's creative power from, from the very beginning. So Genesis 1, 1 and 2 say, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So what Gabriel is saying to Mary is that just as the Spirit of God hovered over a formless earth to create everything that we know, Gabriel says that the Holy Spirit is going to draw near to Mary and cause a miraculous conception. And Jesus will be virgin born. Now, now that is the biggest difference between the announcement to Zechariah and the announcement that's made to Mary. Because the Old Testament tells quite a few stories of older barren women who end up getting pregnant. And so you can think of several of those types of things where, where God you know, takes a woman who, who is unexpected to be blessed of God, and God allows her to miraculously conceive, and then God does great things with her kid. So Isaac, Jacob, Samson, Samuel, what would all be men greatly used of God in the Bible who were born to women who were considered infertile 
like Elizabeth was. But, but there's only one virgin birth. And that's because there's only one God-man. And while God gave Israel many deliverers, or you could also say saviors throughout the Old Testament story, there is only one Savior who is able to deliver us from our greatest threat, which is eternal punishment in hell. And so the virgin birth clearly sets Jesus apart as, as different from every other deliverer that Israel had enjoyed. I mean, he is the Son of God. And it does need to be said that not only is he God, he is also truly man. The fact that he was virgin born means that he didn't just appear to like a man. You know, like Gabriel probably to some extent appeared like a man. It's, you know, it's not that Jesus was God and just kind of like, you know, looked like a man. Or, you know, but wasn't truly a man. No, the Bible tells us that he was truly one of us. And, and Hebrews 2 says that he had to become one of us in order to act as our substitute on the cross. So Jesus' conception means that he is truly a man with a human nature. He experienced temptation like we do. He experienced the limitations of a human body. He experienced every challenge that we face. He was one of us. But the virgin birth also means that he is entirely unique. He has no sin nature. And he is qualified through the virgin birth to be our Savior. And we saw a couple weeks ago in Romans chapter 5 that Jesus is not just another son of Adam. Like, like oh, so many other, like, like every other person that's ever been born in the world. No, as the Son of God, He is able to be a second Adam who can establish a new race of redeemed people who are destined for eternity in heaven. I mean, he is not just another man. And so we should be so thankful for the virgin birth. It's a simple little part of the story that maybe sometimes we forget about, but it is absolutely full of significance full of meaning. It's the difference between hopeless damnation to hell and eternal life with Christ in heaven. So Jesus was virgin born, and then Gabriel also tells her that he will be the holy child. So, so then he concludes, um, let's see, verse, uh, verse 35, by saying, and for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And Gabriel's point there is just simply that Jesus will be wholly set apart to God. He will belong to God and he will, be, he will come not you know, to establish a good career, get married, build a house, and have a good life. Jesus didn't come for any of those things. He, he came to the earth set apart for the purposes of God. He came to die in our place, to reveal the Father, and to provide us with salvation. And so he is different. He is unlike any other child that's ever been born, and that's because the rest of us are all sinners. And all of us are born condemned in Adam. The Bible is clear that there is nothing I can do to reach God on my own. No, we all need a Savior. And therefore, we should be so thankful that God provided a Savior through, through the virgin birth and through come, Him coming into the world on our behalf. And so Jesus alone could pay the price for our sins. And He did when He went to the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin 
became sin for us. My punishment, my guilt was put on Jesus. And He took it out of the way so that I could receive the righteousness of God in Him. And so it doesn't matter what you've done. Maybe you come into church today and you have committed some terrible sins. You come into church feeling guilty and ashamed. Maybe you think you don't deserve to be in church because of how you've sinned against God. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, that the blood of Christ is sufficient to save every sinner. And it doesn't matter. You know, maybe you come in and say, well, I've, you know, I've got other things that I, I love and other things that, val- that matter to me that I want more than Christ. And Jesus, we, we all have lords. And Jesus is a better Lord than any other master we could serve. And so if you have never received Christ as your Savior, I hope that today you will just come to God, confess your sins, confess that He is the Lord, the Savior of all people, and you'll put your faith in Him. And Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you do that, you will be saved. Romans 10.13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and so, if you've never received Christ, what a wonderful day it would be for you to come to Christ and be saved. Well, returning to the story, you know, Mary is there in her humble home in Nazareth. And this is a lot to take in, Right? And Gabriel just told her that she is going to miraculously conceive the Son of God and Israel's promised Messiah. And, and as always, you know, God is compassionate towards human weakness. Aren't you thankful that God does not sit in heaven and, and just think like that we should be like Him? He knows our weakness. He understands our struggles. And so instead of just saying, believe me, he ends the passage by offering her some valuable reassurance. And Mary's response drives home a fourth assertion of the text, which is that Jesus deserves our confidence. Look at how the passage ends in verses 36 through 38. It says, and behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And again, we really see the Lord's compassion here. Because, because again, this is a lot for Mary to believe. But so, so what God does here, what Gabriel does, uh, excuse me, is, is he, he assures her through the testimony of of her relative Elizabeth. And so somehow, Mary and Elizabeth are related. The text doesn't tell us exactly how they're related. But he tells her that her relative Elizabeth, who who Mary knew was was an older lady who had never been able to have children before, and so pretty much everyone assumed that she never would have children. And so as a sign of God's power and of the fact that God would would fulfill His promise to Mary, he, He tells her that I made it possible for Elizabeth, who was old and barren, to become pregnant. And she is in the sixth month of her pregnancy, which, which apparently a Mary did not yet know. Now again, a virgin birth is much harder 
than a barren woman being able to give birth to a child. But, but it still here serves as a significant assurance. You know, what the angel is saying is, I, I did this for Elizabeth, and I'm going to do this for you as well. And, and then Gabriel follows with a simple but profound word of assurance in verse 37. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. God is God. And He is infinite and He is almighty. And so there is nothing that God cannot do. God created the entire universe with His Word. And certainly, if He could create the universe, He could speak and cause a virgin to conceive. And Mary believes the Lord. I mean, look at her response in verse 38 again. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Now, now that highlights another difference from the story here with the story in, 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 in verses 5 through 25, and that is the fact that Zechariah did not respond with the same level of faith. In fact, notice Gabriel's rebuke of, of Zechariah in verse 20. He tells him, and behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Speaking of the birth of John the Baptist. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. That's kind of ironic, right? I mean, here's a priest in the temple, and he's asked to believe something much smaller, and he does not believe God. And so God uh, makes him mute until John the Baptist is born. On the other hand, here's Mary, teenage girl, simple, not trained in the ways of God the same way Zechariah is, and she just simply says, God, I'm your bondservant. You're going to do what you're going to do. I trust you, and I'm here to do whatever you want. Incredible response. And, And folks, there's no reason for us to have any different response than Mary does. You know, the only reason people doubt the truthfulness of this account is because they refuse to believe the truth of verse 37. And nothing is impossible with God. If God is sovereign, which He is, then there's nothing about this story that's a problem. I mean, it's not that the only reason people doubt is because they don't believe, they, they refuse to believe that there is such a God as this. But God is true. And He is able to do all things. Jesus was born of a virgin. He is the Son of God. He is the promised Savior. And He is worthy of all of our confidence. So if you have never put your faith in Jesus for salvation, I hope that you will do that today. God promises that He will save you from your sins and He will transform your life. And, And so if you have never received Christ, we would love to talk with you after the service today about how you can know Jesus as your Savior. And if you are saved, worship Christ today as the true Son of God and the true Son of Man. You'll give thanks for everything that He has done for you in Christ. You know, don't get so busy today that you don't stop to give thanks, to worship, to praise Him. And then, of course, we need to all model the sacrificial love of Jesus to everyone around us. Jesus didn't come in glory. He didn't demand, you know, that that life was easy and pain-free. No, He came. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. 
So let's all give the way Christ has given to us, with humility, love, and grace. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus. And thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf, first in coming into this world, and then ultimately in his death. And so God, as we observe this day, we want to give thanks for Christ, and we want to worship you for what you have done. And Lord, I pray that there's, if there's any here that do not know Jesus as Savior, that Lord, today, they would respond in faith to the message of the gospel and be gloriously saved. And for those of us that know you as Savior, Lord, help us to worship you, help us to glorify you, and help us to imitate you in every aspect of life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness to us as sinners. Thank you for the grace that you modeled to Mary as the same grace that we enjoy every day. And so help us to honor you today. Help us to please you. Help us to give thanks for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.